Lucas, what have you been up to this week then on this episode 97? No, it's 98. 98? Ooh, what are we doing for 100? Uh, will I mean, we be in person for person, episode 100? Right? I was going to say, will we be in person for episode 100? Should um, we do like a Q&A episode in the middle or something if we can't make it to 100? Oh, well, <laughs> while I try and figure that out, let's mention that right now because we haven't got many questions in the email inbox at the moment. So yeah. If you've got any um, questions you want to ask us for another QA episode, send them to carlscornerqa at gmail.com. The link is in the description of the episode. Yeah, if anyone's not listened to the episodes or um, uh, you know can't remember them, I'm just going to we'll put it out there right away. Please stop asking us to write movies for you because <laughs> we get so many questions that are just, um, what's an idea for a movie you think they should make or a game? It's like, make your own ideas. So yeah, I just feel so like a lot of them, they feel like they're fishing for free ideas, essentially. And if, if not, then we've already like, answered those questions in yeah. previous episodes. You can go check those out. Like, It doesn't really feel like there's much point repeating ourselves over and over. Yeah. Also, speaking of repeating ourselves over and over again, um, just, just as an idea of like, a question not to ask of just, what is your favourite insert blank? That's not a good question because <laughs> we get asked that constantly. And we've answered the question. I want to start every variation of that question at least half a dozen times each um, during our career online. Um, so at the moment, it looks like the episode 100 will be like on the 11th. The 11th? Are we and going away to, for that We're weekend? meant to be meeting up on the 12th. So I can always okay. come down for the 11th and then we can, uh, we can do something in person. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll figure that out anyway. But, Lucas, what have you been up to this week? Uh, I mean, I spent a lot last night playing some, you know, clearly the worst versions of a game ever in the N64 online service for Nintendo Switch. Okay, so do you want to explain this to me? Because I am yeah. not the most online person. I am online as part of my job, but I'm very much um, uh, not clued in on some mm -hmm. aspects of online life. And in particular, in regards to games... I tend to just avoid the hype cycle and video game news as a whole, like the plague, because yes. it's just not good. Generally I mean, not speaking, good as in like not good for your mental health to be yeah. like in that sphere of entertainment, imbibing and uh, taking in all of the, um, the the culture surrounding it and just the discourse. It's mm -hmm. very, it very often sways either um, corporate boot heel licking. To like totally licking corporate boot heels or just shitting all over people's creative visions, neither yeah. of which feels that fun. You yeah. do. You love that world, don't you? I, I mean, I don't love Not it. Not those aspects of it, but like um, you're, you, you are willing to dip your toes into that world to get that news. When it comes to gaming, I am, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, very much with gaming, I try to stay in the loop and listen to, you know, lots and lots of gaming podcasts, keep an eye on gaming news on Twitter all the time. So yeah, I... I tried to stay clued in, um, generally speaking with news, and a little bit with, you know, a bit of discourse if, if it comes across my timeline. Yeah, that's the one. You know it's, like, important or is a big deal if it, like, goes past my timeline. If, mm. if it enters my peripheral, then it's probably something that's, like, started to leak out um, into the wider spheres of technology and stuff like that and just general pop culture. Mm -hmm. Just that's, like, you know, my wheelhouse. That's kind of what I have to be immersed in for creating fact videos and stuff like that yeah sure yeah but um no that's nintendo one um 
was a it's a it's a weird one. It's kind of a, a continuation of a conversation that's been going on for a long time. Okay. But the the short of it at the moment is Nintendo Switch added the expansion pass to their online service on like the twenty sixth of October for us it was like the twenty fifth for Americans. But yeah. Twenty sixth of October twenty twenty one and it came with um the Sega Mega Drive slash Genesis games mm-hmm. and the N sixty four games as well as on November fifth we'll get access to the Animal Crossing DLC. Okay, and just already I hate the future. I hate the future of an expansion pass to something that's literally called an online pass. Like, mm. This is the I I thought it couldn't get worse than Disneyland prices or Disneyland's way of like ticketing. So mm. like, the the amount of hierarchy within its own ticketing system is incomprehensible and just rewards people for just giving the company more money. Like you, it's as close as you're going to get to the real world equivalent, like pay to win. Yeah. And like, have you seen like with that? There's, there's a new, even higher tier of Disney t- of Disneyland ticket that you can get. Called, uh, like, okay. The Magic See, I Kingdom. saw a news article the other day saying that Disneyland ticket now costs like 160 dollars. I wasn't sure if that was a new option or like the price yeah. of the base ticket. There's an even higher tier that you can subscribe to, and it ended up fucking people over because this new higher tier is so in demand that people walking up to the front gates of the park can walk in. People just walking up and queuing can buy a ticket and get in, but people who have this like literally top tier access to the mm. park and t- like early bird tickets and stuff like that cannot get a ticket till at least like halfway through November. Oh wow! And it's gotten to the point now where it's so there's so much. I'm trying to think of the word I'm thinking of here, like not hierarchy, but there's like there's just so many different ways to buy tickets, and there's so many like higher tiers, higher tiers, higher tiers, higher tiers. Yeah, the level of just. It separation of perks and availability of stuff is random and weird with Disney tickets. That random man on the street um, has more of a chance of getting into the park than someone who is literally paying hundreds of dollars for the privilege to do so. Because they can just walk up to the front gate and just buy a ticket. Because the regular tickets aren't a premium. Yeah. No. It's that thing of like we're going, it's gone so far beyond it that now the regular tickets, the one that give you the best deal because you just walk straight in. Sorry, and then we're getting that in on regards to like online and stuff, aren't we now? Yeah, but... and I think the way I expected it is because it's been rumoured for a while N64 games will come into online for Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch. I just assumed it's like, look, it's going to be $10 more a year rather than $20, it's going to be $30, or you know, rather than £18, it's going to cost 27 or whatever the translation is, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, And... No, instead they decided to keep the base Nintendo Switch Online, which is just playing online and having access to the NES, SNES, and like, you know, like the Tetris 99 and the Pac-Man 99, those extras. Mm-hmm. And then you have the expansion pack, which is, you know, the new stuff that I mentioned. And the, the reason it's called the expansion pack is and presumably just a nod to the fact that Nintendo 64 had a thing called the expansion pack to play yeah, it's certain just a, games. It's a good bit of branding. It is, yeah. So it's a bit of cute naming to throw back to the N64 times, but it's just really weirdly structured. And the fact that they've clearly thrown an Animal Crossing DLC in there to just jack up the price for everybody to make it look Mm -hmm. like good value. It's like, but you're paying, instead of, to clarify, for a single membership, it would be like 
instead of $20, you'd then pay $50 for the online plus the expansion pack. Mm-hmm. So it's over double the price for just N64 games, Genesis games, and Animal Crossing DLC access, which there's, what, 30 million people with Animal Crossing, but that means for anybody that doesn't want that DLC, they're paying so much money to play a couple of old games. Yeah, and it's just... I, I don't... I, I don't like it. It's like, ugh. I don't like the way they've done it at all. I think if they had a third option of, you know... Nintendo Switch Online Plus, which is just give me the emulated games for this is what... an extra ten dollars. I wouldn't mind, but it's the fact that they're gatekeeping like everybody to that fucking Animal Crossing DLC. Yeah, and one of the things I like though, the only reason I like this is because once you've called it plus, where do you go beyond that? Because uh, I could... it's gonna be a bit of a weird pull, but many years ago I got deep, deep into the game Dragon Ball Z Dock and Battle. Oh you yeah, I remember Dock yeah. and Battle. Yeah. It's just, I remember you being into Dock and Battle. Okay, so Dock and Battle, for anyone like Lucas is not all too familiar with it, is it's just a gacha card game with a Dragon Ball Z skin. And me being a huge Dragon Ball mark was like all in on this game. When I first started playing it, the highest ranked card you could get was like ultra rare. So it went from it went from normal to rare to super rare to super super rare to ultra rare. Okay. And then and that's the thing, like, once you've got ultra rare, how do you go beyond that? But I mean, one of the reasons I, I was okay with this is Dragon Ball, and it was quite meta. Uh, they're always going to get a new team. But after a couple of years after I started playing, they brought in legendary rare. Okay. <laughs> and this is yeah. one of the reasons I like this, because eventually you're going to have to convince whales to spend more money. Yeah. So to do that, you have to introduce a new thing that they can spend their money on. Mm-hmm. So but now they've got, and the last I saw is they had legendary rare. But once you had a legendary rare card, it's like, okay, how do we get people to keep playing if we've introduced Legendary Rare? And they decide, okay, well, now you can have a Legendary Rare card, but they can level up. <laughs> and do you know how you level up your Legendary Rare card? By feeding it another Legendary Rare card. Of course. Is it the and same card? It's the same card, yes. So, like, you have to have a, a duplicate of one Legendary card to level it up. And do you want to guess how many you can level up your Legendary Rare card? Uh, I'm guessing more like Three to five times. 20 times. What? So you need to get 20 duplicates of rare cards to get the ultimate legendary rare No, no, rare no. Card. called legendary rare cards, not just rare Yeah, but that's to get the ultimate version of it, that's the most powerful, because leveling it up increases its power level. But once you've done that, there's also a new, new system that they introduced, <laughs> where it is you can increase the um, specific attributes of your cards and customize them in a way. For example, okay. you can increase their attack power, HP, that sort of thing. But mm. you can get perks for your card such as dodge chance, or powering up your super meter, or a chance to attack twice. But when you're leveling this up, you have to open up gates. So to open up like you know the, the paths that give you these extra abilities, which mm. also requires another copy of the card. <laughs> so you can require upwards... So if to level up a card fully, you need 25 copies of it. <laughs> and that's the thing of, this is why I like it, because where do you go after that? And I'm tempted to boot up the game again just to see how much more bullshit it's gone. Yeah, because you would imagine like once a yearly update they've got to add something fresh to keep those whales in. Yeah, because that's what once you've added that level, and I'm, I'm actually tempted to look it up just to see what new bullshit they've added, and that's one of the reasons I'm curious to see. Now they've done this, they've done the plus, where do they go after this? Because eventually like no company is going to see the amount of money they make from this and stop. 
yeah, there's no way that they're going to just add, say, for example, Game Boy or GameCube games in there. No, they'll add for free. Uh, they'll add an, no, they'll add another tier. But what do they call that tier, Lucas? Well, do you call it the expansion plus the expansion pack plus? Or do you call it and then after that? What do you call it that? The expansion pack plus plus. Um, super expansion. Pack. I was going to say the super expansion pass because it's Nintendo. Uh, yeah. Just as an example of this as well, I brought up um, uh, just a guide here, and I think this sums up how bad Disneyland's gotten. Because I was like, um, I, I don't feel I gave um, a proper explanation of this new system mm-hmm. that they've done. So I have here a guide from MousePlanet.com, literally titled "Decoding Disneyland's Tiered Ticket Structure." Oh my god. So Does it get bullshit, Carl? Oh yeah, Lucas. Disneyland Resort uses a seasonal flex pricing structure with a price of one-day tickets based on a five-tier calendar. Tier five tickets are the most expensive, starting at $154 for a one-day, one-park ticket. The tier one value ticket starts at $104 for a one-day, one-park adult ticket. This morning, Disney published, so this was published in April 9th of this year, um, 20, uh, in the year of our Lord and Saviour Sakurai 2021. Um, <laughs> this morning, Disney published an updated ticket tier calendar showing which dates fall under which tier for the first 60 days. And keep in mind as well, they also introduced a new sixth tier, which um, uh, supersedes Jesus. all of these in terms of its um, uh, availability. But Lucas, it says here, so um, uh, tier five tickets are valid for any day after April 30th, and those travelers have the most flexibilities in picking the dates they want to visit. Tickets purchased at the tier two to four pricing have far fewer available dates to choose from. Tier four tickets are blocked out for the first two weeks after reopening and also weekends. Most Fridays after that, tier two tickets are only valid only six of the first 60 days. At this time, customers holding tier one tickets cannot make reservations during the first 60 days of park operation. What the fuck? And they have it here, Lucas. Oh, there's just... Do you want to guess just the price this goes up to? So let's just say most the most amount of money you're going to be paying to get into the park... For one day? For one, um, for one day for an adult. Does it go up to like $200? Uh, it's $154, as mentioned, for like one adult, one park. To go to the park hopper... It's going to be two hundred nine dollars to get in for five days to buy a five day pass. That's four hundred and fifteen dollars. Oh, but you also, Luke, remember you got res- you got to reserve your tickets. Yeah, yeah. And they introduce a new system because they realize, oh fuck, people are really pissed off. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to introduce a new new tier when we reopen after the pandemic. That's like the new magical sixth tier. Yeah, and this is what I like. Like I hate this system, but. The fact that they have to keep introducing these new, supposedly even more exclusive um, uh, offers and stuff. Well, it's interesting to see like when they collapse. As I mentioned earlier, like, people just walk up to the front of the gate and walk straight in, but people who paid all this money can't. See, I have dealt with this kind of Disney system for a while because okay. um, you know, I go to Disneyland Paris relatively often before yes. COVID times. Um, and we would normally go for just buying an annual pass because buying one of the cheaper annual passes works out less expensive than buying like a five-day pass because that way they keep you in the loop Mm -hmm. and And they want you there don't they they do and they have four different tiers for the annual pass of course okay so you have and they're named not just like tier one the first one is discovery car yeah, I think they have like weird names, don't they? They do because it's Disney, so it can't be just like give us money, give us more money tier. 
is like the discovery gives you 150 days of the year that you can access the parks. Okay. Then the magic flex one is 300 days per year. Then there's the magic plus, which is 350, 350 days per year. And then there's infinity card, which is every day of the year. And, and the they also is, give you extra discounts in the shops and restaurants and stuff, but like they can't go past infinity. Lucas, they will. <laughs> that's the thing, because eventually they will. And that's what I'm curious about. How do you go beyond infinity? And it only makes sense in a fucking Dragon Ball series or yeah. game, because Dragon Ball is all about that shit. But how do they go beyond infinity? I want to know. It's I the only know. reason that I accept this to see the marketing, like backflips they're going to have to do to try and explain how something can be more than infinity yeah and like yeah it's one of those of like with the infinity pass you get like the photo pass plus you get discount on hotels you get privilege tickets for friends you get um extra hours you get um like complimentary access to push chair rentals get that's storage. the thing as well it, like, it gets to a point more? where it gets to a point as well where the average person on the street will not be able to tell at a glance which is the good one because they, by necessity, they all have to sound good because you can't just call one. Normally, back in the day, you call it like bronze, silver, gold. Mm -hmm. But now, like, you know, bronze, it has that like negative association with it. And Disney doesn't want to have negative association with anything you buy in their parks or related to their brand. Funnily enough, um, there's four tiers and it's from the top, it's like platinum, gold, and silver. But the bottom one, He's like bronze. a nice Disney blue. It's not allowed to be bronze. And it's I have not it here, allowed to be bronze. In regards to like Disneyland, and um, they have the Magic Key program, which is um, their what they call their annual pass. Hmm. And I want you to tell me now, like, which one of these is the best one? We have the Magic Key program, the Dream Key program, the Believe Key, the Enchant Key, and the Imagine Key. Which one of those, Lucas, is the best one? The Imagine Key, surely. I don't know, because it doesn't say here. I thought you... Well, that's the thing. The fact that you don't know for sure no, sums I'm, up I'm why this is so fucking... Oh, it's so fucking stupid as hell. That's the only reason I'm going to accept this, is just to see the fucking mental backflips they're going to have to do to try and like... Well, this is the Infinity Plus. So how can you get plus infinity? Mm -hmm. Fuck you. Oh, God. And yeah, like, bringing it back to Nintendo, I just... Yes. I know that for a fact that, you know, to justify the yearly cost of you know doubling the the regular online that yeah they probably will add maybe like a dlc once per year just around october time to keep people interested in re-upping it because mm -hmm. they can't realistically add a couple of n64 games just keep the the animal crossing dlc and ask people or expect people to um to all re-up it year after year well, that's the thing isn't it this is uh we're in uncharted waters in regards to stuff like this where it's going to be it's basically whatever people are willing to pay like the thing of like um uh, vote with your wallet is never been more true now mm -hmm. and like think about disneyland where eventually that system will collapse the bubble will like, burst at some point it's like i, I told you, you know, like, there's people with those whatever whatever the fucking sixth tier of mm -hmm. ticket is called or the sixth tier of pass is called can't physically get into the park because like there's they've run out of reservation spaces for the day or whatever. And they are like literally the most dedicated Disney fans and the ones who've put the most money on the line. Mm -hmm. And when they start complaining, Disney has to listen. Yep. How long is it gonna be till that system just completely collapses? I don't know, but it can't last forever, I should say. But 
when is it going to break? And that's the beautiful thing about it. Mm, is at what point, say next year, if Nintendo have only added a couple of N64 and uh, Mega Drive games, then mm-hmm. and they're not offering you know a new DLC to go along with it or a new discount or a new free game or whatever, how much of a drop-off are they going to see for people re-upping or cancelling for the second year? And yeah. that's that's going to be interesting because Nintendo love just pushing the limits of seeing what they can get away with. Of course, yeah. And mo- like most all, companies all, do, but it's not, companies not something like Game Pass where you look at this and go, this is a really genuinely good deal. I'm happy to pay for it. It's like, oh, Nintendo, like you got away with it because I'm on the family pass with people who are willing to share it with me, but I would not pay for this on my own. Well, you hit the nail on the head right there. Game Pass is the, the antithesis. Antithesis? antithesis. I think it's antithesis. I think antithesis, even yeah. though it's spelled antithesis. Either way, mm-hmm. antithesis to this, where Game Pass is a genuinely good deal. Where it's yeah. like uh, people don't know, it's you get access to a library of about a hundred games. Uh, I think because it includes the EA Play games as well, it's more like two hundred and something. I'm just gonna like bring up now Game Pass list of games and just go through. There is a varying list because that you get access with Ultimate Game Pass to like Game Pass for PC. Game Pass again, for like, Xbox oh. and Game Pass on your cloud. And there it is again, Lucas, Ultimate Game Pass. Yeah. But, like, just... I'm just going to get read out, like, now. I'm just going to go through a smattering of the games. Like, Dragon Ball Fighter Z is now on there. I didn't even know that's on. That's fucking rad. Dragon yeah, Ball Fighter Z, one of the best ago, fighting yeah. games. The Thing, um, Back for Blood, new game that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, Untitled Goose Game, A Way Out, Playtale Innocence, Alien Isolation, Anthem, if you give a shit. Um, the Batman Arkham Knight game, um, a couple of Battlefields. No Call of Duty, though, unfortunately. Yeah, I think they normally partner with PlayStation Plus for, to give free games through there. But like all of the Halos, the Gears of Wars, like Crisis, um, Dante's Inferno. It's a game I recommend. Like Darkest Dungeon. Yeah. Dead yeah. Space. I don't go through alphabetically now, but yeah, look at them. Mm-hmm. Like, these are also like some really solid ass games. It's like for the price, that's. In- for someone who likes games, and for myself as well, having the Xbox at the office and we stream a lot of stuff. So, you know what? I was fancy streaming a new game tonight. Boom, whack it in. Yeah, like, for example, Doom. Doom Eternal's on there. It's like, fuck it, it is, I'll yeah. play Doom Eternal. I've um, already bought it, but yeah, now I don't have to like troll through my bookshelf and grab a disc. It's just on my console. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those of, I know that, well, I don't need to worry about buying Halo in December because guess what? It's just on Game Pass. Forza Horizon It's just going to be on Game Pass. Yeah. And that's the thing of like, uh, there's two sides to this way. It's people are willing to pay for something if it is a good deal. Like, look mm. at something like Netflix, where Netflix, what, like eight quid? Yeah. Something, something like less than, a, less than a tenner for access to, even if you think of it as just like watching sitcoms. I know a lot of people use Netflix like just to watch The Office or Friends mm-hmm. or shit for background noise. That's worth it. To, to, a lot to of me, it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And obviously, it's all subjective when you you come into value and stuff. Of course, yeah. But the just the sheer size of the library you gain access to for that price is incredible. And then you compare it to like the other shittier streaming services nobody likes. We've got like the NBC one or something like that, where like, all it's like Star Peacock, Trek. is it and stuff. And yeah. then you get like, um, oh, there's Amazon they have Star Prime Trek video where everything that I want to watch is you've got to buy it or rent it anyway. It's like not buy included. It <sighs> and, and talking about um, I was saying that they're the two approaches that you can have to it's like to, to close one point of oh right yeah and people will be willing to pay for something if you like if it has one thing that they want like I think it is Peacock mm-hmm. where they said 
oh, Netflix in America, you're not having the office anymore because that's the only thing we own that people want. Yeah. And they're like, well, surely people are going to sign up to watch stuff, and they will, but eventually you're going to piss them off enough where they're like, it's not fucking worth it. Yeah, they're going to watch it through and then be like, well, what else is here and realize that you're lacking in content. Yeah, so you can get people that way, but it's short term. Whereas something like Netflix, where even when they do lose those big shows, like when they lost The Office in America, when they lost Parks and Rec, stuff like that, mm-hmm. they've still got such a massive library of content anyway that it's okay, that's a bit gutting, but there's still a bunch more shit to watch. Whereas if you go on, the alternative is, well, they've got the one thing that I like, and then nothing else. Yeah. And then Netflix is making so much original programming that eventually one hits big like Squid Game and becomes huge for like getting a load of new people in. Um, uh, eventually like one one is going to win out more often than the other in the long term because one of them is just inherently more um, customer friendly than gating stuff off in some cases as a fuck you yeah and think about how many people for example with something that offers just a ridiculous amount of content like we said Game Pass or Netflix where it offers a good enough value that people will go out and recommend it to others yes and spread word of mouth. I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard everybody who has Game Pass talk about how good a deal that is. Yeah, but how often do you hear someone say that um, Nintendo Online is a good deal? It's like, no, I have it because I want to play Smash Online. Like, see, I have Nintendo Online for one reason and one reason alone, to play Smash Bros. with you guys. And luckily, you know, it pays for itself because you stream Smash Bros. once a week. Yeah, but I think if I was, but... you know, not streaming the game and there wasn't a global pandemic... I probably wouldn't pay for it because it's like the value is not there for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas Xbox Live, I've had that pretty consistently for like five straight years. Right, just because yeah. like they keep giving me free shit. Yeah, and that's another thing is the um like the the free games that you get on, say, games of gold or PlayStation Plus are a lot better than here's a 30-year-old game that arguably doesn't run overly well or look yeah, overly did. great. And we did get away from our points slightly, actually. We were going to say you're playing the worst version of a game. So am I to take it that some of the versions of the games that are on the new Nintendo Online expansion pack aren't very good? Um, Well, it's a very interesting conversation to have because for somebody like myself who just wants an easy, convenient way to be able to play those games, you know, on a modern console and with sharing capabilities and Mm -hmm. um, the ability to play the games online, which you never could in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're talking about like N64 and backwards, so yeah, no online capability. They've added that in. Um, it's a it's a really good version of those games because it's just exactly what I want out of them. Um, however, the moment it came out and people started booting these games up, they noticed that oh well, um, the games depending on what game it is have certain levels of input lag, and they're not emulated as well as they were back on say the Wii Virtual Console. Um, and just like some textures aren't displayed properly or some effects aren't displayed properly and the games run a bit choppily when you're playing them online. It's one of those things of if you're really into that that kind of minutia, it's a big deal. But for most people, they're not. And here's the thing as well. I think it's something we've talked about a couple of times. I think we mentioned it on, on stream the other day where it's, people are wholly unable to see things from the perspective of like you you got it bang on there like to me i just want a portable way of playing the game and to a lot of people that's all they really give a shit about these are games they have a nostalgia for but not necessarily um, such a deep rooted love for that they're going to notice these small issues Mm -hmm. yeah 
but there are people out there who have, and they're blowing up to be the, a way bigger deal than arguably it should be, because whilst, yes, these games are objectively, they look worse, they run worse in a lot of cases, not enough people give a shit to warrant the reaction that they're having. Yeah, and I saw um, something where it kind of made me, you know, do a mental double take of, hang on, what? And it was that I'd played the first dungeon of Ocarina of Time on the Switch. Yes. And then just casually went on Twitter and uh, people are complaining about input lag on the game and how input lag on this version on the Switch is horrendous. And I saw the word horrendous get used. That's the thing. It's, it's such a... That's a descriptor that you really need to deliver on. When you're talking horrendous input lag, are we talking like a half a second? Uh, so we are talking about 220 milliseconds. So we're talking frames. A fifth of a second input lag. And this was dis- this was discovered by a speedrunner of Ocarina of Time. And that's so how all- somebody noticed, because somebody that plays that game like on a daily religious basis like noticed it. And that's the thing as well of, they are not representative of the entire audience for this game. They are not even representative of like the audience that you fall into of mm-hmm. like the people who fucking love this game yeah. they are people who are like even more into the game than that like they are the one percent of the one percent this is an issue that literally will affect about 500 people yeah and to clarify for anyone wondering i've maybe completed the n64 version of ocarina of time across different consoles and different versions maybe 30 plus times mm-hmm. and uh, to clarify, I've done it three times in the last year. So I'm aware of how that game plays on the N64, on the Wii U, and on the Switch recently. And I still didn't notice a thing. But it's like, as you say, these people, speedrunners, they are the guys, they go in, they break this game down to its core elements. They yeah. are, in some cases, working in case like individual frames. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they're breaking stuff down to like that level of minutia. And for them, it is a big deal, but I feel like because it's such a big deal to them, because so much of their personality, so much of their life, their livelihood is informed by their attachment to this game, mm-hmm. that small issue to them is obviously a big issue. But they think it must be as big an issue for everybody else. It's like, for the most part, people don't give a fuck. People aren't going to notice, no. And the, that's the thing is, but then you get one person that's influential within that community to go, look how bad this is, this runs awfully, and then that gets picked up by everybody else who doesn't really understand what awful is in that context. And that goes, it's like the telephone game of the internet, where it, then it'll end up on a website, and then that website's headline gets shared. Not the article, the headline gets shared. Mm-hmm. And just, that's, you know, does Nintendo run with, like, does Nintendo Switch Online have horrible emulation and all this? It's like the, There's a bit of nitpicking, yeah. It's not perfect, and arguably for are. the price you should be getting a a pretty perfect version of those games, but emulation's hard. It is. And I think it's you who's breaking it down, where it's like, just, why do you give such a huge fucking shit about this? Mm-hmm. This is the thing. It's like, it's, I think the, the best example of this one I brought up on stream is the game. Or to highlight um, uh, this concept of people not being able to see something as from the perspective of others mm-hmm. is during, is it the Pokemon stream i think nintendo did was like here's all the pokemon stuff that's getting released in the next couple of years yeah they did like a pokemon nintendo direct and during that they said it was a new mainline pokemon game we're doing a remake mm-hmm. um and here's some other little 
things that Pokemon brand would be doing. One of them was Pokemon Teeth. Luke, would you like to describe Pokemon Teeth for the people listening at home? Uh, yeah, it's an app on your your smartphone that basically just encourages you to brush your teeth properly for like two, three minutes and has Pokemon, Pokemon on the screen and stuff. Yeah. It's got Pokemon skin. It's basically just a, an app, that, a timer app with a Pokemon skin on it. And do you want to describe the trailer for anyone at home? Uh, yeah, it's a yeah, parent it? like pointing the putting the phone on the sink and getting their kid to like play this Pokemon teeth game to brush their teeth. Yeah, so it's a little kid brushing their teeth as a Charmander dances on the screen mm-hmm. and a timer counts down. And yeah. from that, you can probably guess, folks at home, this is not something aimed at hardcore gamers. This is not something aimed at even just the average game playing adult. This is something aimed at parents who happen to like you know be somewhat into gaming who have children who also like games or even it's just i know my child likes pokemon pokemon and they they can look at pokemon on the screen to encourage them to brush their teeth yeah and lucas i believe we were watching i think we were either watching it together or we did like a something for your channel about this i can't remember because this this one was a while ago so it was was a while ago yes but do you recall the reaction and responses to Pokemon Teeth from fully grown adult men? Oh yeah, it was, well, what What am I going to use this for? What need do I have for this app? And the answer to which is, you don't. It's not for you, it's for somebody else, but in their head, because it's not for them, they don't understand. Well, I would never personally use this. Why does it exist? It's like, because not everybody is you. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is you. Some people are not you, and those people who are not you might like this. Such as fucking children. The primary audience for Pokemon. As an entire franchise, not just Pokemon Teeth or anything. The demographic for For Pokemon Pokemon. is, and always will be, primarily Children. children. And they can't understand that. And then you can fold that into, so if you mentioned like speedrunners, of they cannot see why somebody outside of their world of speedrunning would not think this is the biggest deal ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, to them, this is such a huge, it's like a literal game-breaking issue for them. They can't do the things that they can on other versions of the game. Yeah. This is a massive, why is nobody talking about it? It's like, because not everybody is you and gives such a huge fuck about it. And, and it's I, so fascinating to see. I saw like a Reddit post as well on like one of the Nintendo subreddits and it was talking about like, Oh, now there's no way that we're going to be able to do a BLJ on uh, Super Mario 64 for the speedrun. And loads of the comments were like, what the hell's a BLJ? <laughs> and it's like That's a backwards sweet. long jump that speedrunners use to like glitch the game out. But it's like, but most people don't even know what it means. They just want to play the game that they remember playing 10 years ago or 15 years ago at this point. Uh, I don't know. Again. Can't be 20 now, wasn't it? With the L. Oh, no. Wait. You it's like 25. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I can L. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, time is a flat circle, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, and we've seen that multiple times, and we've experienced it as well, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, like we mentioned, we play a lot of Smash Bros. And a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago now, there was um, a little bit of a kerfuffle in regards to Smash Bros. Uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee. So that's an 18, 19 year old game at this point. Uh, Twenty, I think. 20-year-old game, they were trying to have an online tournament with this game, and this is a game that does not have an online component. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for people who like to play the game online, um, there is a modded version of the game um, which you can play online. And by all accounts, it's pretty seamless. Yeah, it is. And it's like, you know, that, that 
fan base is super dedicated to that game and has has modded it so that it can work really seamlessly online and fair play. So they could have tournaments during the pandemic and Nintendo themselves got wind of one of these tournaments and shut it down. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can argue about the morality of that, but from a legal standpoint, that's Nintendo's property and they don't want it being used in a way that is not representative of the product they released. Yeah, and they are well within their rights to shut down anything that is like misusing their games and their IPs in a way that they yeah. might seem unjust. Now, you can argue about said, the morality of it, but legally standing, or from a legal standpoint, Nintendo can do that. Yeah, they can, and they're a business and they're entitled to do it. And, um, like, you know, at the end of the day, a business is going to protect its own interests. Like, mm-hmm. corporations, folks at home, are not your friends, regardless of, like, you know, how cutesy the exterior they have. As seen by, you know, stuff like this Nintendo Switch Online pricing. Yeah, they are not your friends. And again, you can argue the morality of what they're doing, but the legality of it is that it's their shit. They can do what they want with it, and they can, um, if they like, shut shit like that down. And mm-hmm. I'd say probably the melee community is probably, in terms of people who play it, less than a thousand people. I'd, I'm going to go I'd, out on a limb. I doubt it's less than a thousand people. I've, I've no, been. I, to... I mean, people who play it competitively. Yeah, people who play I've, it on the I've level been, where they're doing these. I've been to competitive tournaments for melee a couple of times, and local ones still pull in like 50, 60 people over in England. So you're talking like thousands of people, but as a percentile so of people that play Smash Bros, it's nothing. Okay, let's say let's just say ten thousand then. Okay. Let's say 10,000, so an audience of 10,000 people. And after this happened, um, a bunch of those people were very, very upset about this mm-hmm. and were complaining loudly online. Some of these tweets got a lot of traction, like, you know, due to what we mentioned earlier. One person in a position of influence with a whole lot of followers mentioned it. It gets snowballs. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing to a lot of the people um, you know, who were upset by it, it seems like the issue is a very big deal. Wrong around the reveal of the character Sephiroth. In Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, the latest iteration of the game. And Lucas, you know where I'm going with this, don't Mm -hmm. you? What did the people who were super upset about Melee, not all of them, but some of them, frame the reveal of Sephiroth as? Yeah, there was a little, uh, I think it was like a subreddit post that was like a little mini conspiracy theory of, did Nintendo just announce Sephiroth to distract people from this Melee news? Yeah, from the controversy, I think they... From the controversy, right, yeah. And that is a perfect encapsulation of what we're talking about here, where in their head, this is such a big deal. It's the only thing they give a fuck about. It's mm-hmm. so important to them that they legitimately believe that a multi-billion dollar company released a, like, a trailer for Sephiroth appearing in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, something that trended worldwide on Twitter mm-hmm. seconds after being announced. And is probably a deal that was literally years in the making. Yep. And represents, like, you know, one of the most complete and just unbelievable um, cross collaborations between companies in the, in the history of video games. Mm-hmm. They were legitimately believing that this, they did that not because, fuck you, it cost, us a bit, it cost us millions of dollars to get this deal in place and we're really happy with it and we want to sell a bunch of DLC and more copies of the latest version of the game. So, and they did it to hide the fact that less than 10,000 people or around 10,000 people are kind of miffed about this one thing, that the other 8 million people uh, who play that game, the latest version of the game, aren't even aware of. Yeah, I I think the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, last time it was recorded, are like 13 million sales or something along those lines. And it's like, yeah. 
I would argue out of those 13 million people, maybe, maybe like 50,000 people even heard about that news story with Melee. Yeah. And if you go by percentage, I'd say that the 1% of 1% probably yeah. like applies there. Mm-hmm. But because in their head, that is the only thing they interact with. It's so important to them. They cannot um, uh, imagine that it's not a big deal to other people. Yep. And it, it, it's a weird thing to see. It's baffling. It's, it's, it's baffling and it's fascinating. And it's one of those of... I I really do, as I said, don't, I don't, do believe that this... Uh, the way it is right now is not great value for money with this in terms of the, the N64 and Mega Drive games. Yeah, to bring it all the way back around. Yeah, but do I think it's not good value because of any of this thing that like the most hardcore of people care about with the emulation quality? No. I don't think that whatsoever. The reason why I'm a bit down on it is A, the price, and B, the fact that currently we've got nine Nintendo 64 games available. Yeah. Uh, your complaint lies in the fact that you can point to something one of their direct competitors is doing for less money and say, well, look at the value for money I get with that. Yeah, they are giving just... me brand new Xbox games on day of release without any caveats for £5 a month. Meanwhile, meanwhile, for £5 a month or just less, you can get nine Nintendo 64 games. Yeah. That's your issue with it. But to other people, like, you know, speedrunners are a really good example that you brought up. Of, and because I think it's their, the example of those as well is really good because the, thing, the problem that they have is in some cases literally frames. It's yeah. literal less than a half a second that they're complaining about. And to them, that's a deal breaker. It really is a deal breaker, and what really it's fair play that it is, baffles but... me is that not only is it a this is an awful, egregious thing that cannot be understated at all, the emulation is horrible, I can't deal with this input, like blah blah blah. It's like you have other ways of still playing this game that you've already been using. It doesn't take those away. It's just another way to play the games. Mm-hmm. So no one's saying like like speedrunners are wrong. It's just that their approach to it of they seem to think that their complaints are more a representative of the entire community for the game, the entire audience for it, mm-hmm. and that's never a good thing. No, so it's not because I, I saw plenty of headlines and YouTube videos and stuff of people oh, just well, like, how bad blast. is the Nintendo Switch Online? It's like wait what? Like it played fine. I could play the game and it ran okay. I don't understand the problem. Well, well, did you know that imperceivable amount of input lag is just a deal breaker? If it is for you, fine, but there are probably a million other people, literally a million other people most in most likely like playing this game right now, having a blast because they're reliving a part of their childhood. Mm-hmm. And that's something I can speak to of experiencing personally because now we have an audience. Yeah. Um, uh, for the Pac-Bean channel, mm-hmm. um, I haven't. I'd like to say I have an audience for like myself, which is weird to think about. Like people tune for Pac-Bean, and they've got a, a smaller audience for like content that I just produce, so content just featuring me. Yes, yeah. And we have experienced before. Like um, uh, we can speak to this. Uh, Pac-Bean videos are slight, slightly shorter now. Mm-hmm. Just analytics um, say that people only watch nine and a half minutes of the content. It's been the truth. Well, that's been the case for about three years now since the inception of the channel. Realistically. Yeah, um, that's it's only 
it's, and that's the only reason that it's not for the entire length of the challenge because videos when we first made were about four to six minutes long before we got more into our groove and started making longer content. Oh, okay. But once we settled into the groove of what Fact Fiend is, people have been watching for about nine and a half minutes and we started to shorten videos down. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it was during an email or a DM or something I got from a guy. It was like, oh, why are videos shorter now? And I just sent that explanation. Well, analytics say the vast majority of our audience only watch nine and a half minutes and anything after that um, uh, is only watched by a still significant but um, uh, relatively smaller amount of people and it's not a good idea to make content for that smaller part of the audience because the the algorithm will not favor our content and with the algorithm already shitting on us from a great height it makes more sense to like you know go after the big fish as it were yeah for sure and if you actively see analytics on youtube and go against what their insights are telling you youtube as you you were saying just will absolutely shit on you and just stop recommending your content and even when we've tried doing it it still stopped recommending our content to a bunch of people yeah and the reason i bring this up is because after i said that to that guy and my explanation literally included the explanation of the vast majority of our audience, as I can see it, thanks to the analytics only I have access to, is telling me that, oh, sorry, the vast majority of our audience, like, you know, something I know because the analytics that I, oh, I alone have access to is telling me this. Like, mm-hmm. Damn it, let try it again. I'm getting really mixed up here. So okay. uh, what cracked me up about that guy's response is after I told him, um, the reason this is the case is because the vast majority of our audience only watches for nine and a half minutes, something I know because I have access to analytics. And the guy responded, well, speaking for your audience, I don't think that's the case. And it's like, how the fuck do you know? Mm-hmm. So I tried to be nice. And that's what got me. Like, Even though he's speaking to the creator of the channel, the person who has all the information about the analytics, all the behind the scenes stuff. And I told him straight up, this is the case. He still felt uh, he was speaking for the entire audience. Yeah. Here are the hard numbers on this. Like, no, no, no. I know more. Yeah. What? Speaking for your audience, I think that's um, a mistake. It's like, well, you don't you don't speak for the entire audience, and if you're speaking for and, and if you did, you're only speaking for a smaller percentage of it. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that was quite interesting. I know ties a neat boat on, not a neat boat, a neat bow on that. <laughs> of even when someone is confronted with literal, like direct contradictions to their thoughts and like their feelings on the matter. It's like hard numbers. You can't argue with hard numbers. No, it's it's objective. Yeah, completely. Uh, they still say, but I feel like they're wrong. And you, how do you argue with someone when you present hard numbers to them? And their response is, but they're wrong. Yeah. And that's what yeah, I've experienced. It. I, I saw it and I just showed my phone to my girlfriend. And she's like, why do you even answer? Because I, I thought, I made the mistake of thinking that someone would listen to me. <laughs> I made the mistake of thinking that if I just was just reasonable and explained my position, the guy would get it. And he still got like, um, uh, like snippy with me. And like, uh, well, speaking for your audience, like you don't, one, you don't speak for the audience. And two, you don't speak for the audience. <laughs> You're one person. So there is but still a little head, bit of naivety to you though, Carl. I know there is. But, like, but that someone might listen. But like, that's the thing. Like, they are one person, but in their head, because they like the longer videos. How can... It, it's impossible. To, they can't comprehend that someone who's not them. 
exist. Yeah. So well, I like the longer videos. So I can't imagine anyone else in your audience would disagree with that sentence. Like, well, I've got the numbers here that say that's exactly the case. A lot of people disagree with you. Oh. It's like, well, I've never seen anyone say that in the comments. It's like, because the vast majority of people don't comment on videos. No, the people who comment are normally the people who are the invested 1% of the community. Yeah, which is a accurate number for anyone curious. Um, the breakdown, as I've seen it, which I believe holds true for all internet content, is 95 to 97% of all people on the internet um, consume content passively. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that they read it, they watch it, they listen to it without any further interaction. They won't and like the video, they won't comment, they won't subscribe, they won't interact in any other way than just consuming the content and leaving. Yeah, and then it is 4 to 2% of people uh, do that. They like, they comment, they share, mm-hmm. they subscribe, they interact with the content more than in more than a passive way. And then the remaining 2 to 1% of people create all the content. Right, yeah. And like, it's not, they're not exact numbers, but it is very close to that. It's a, it's a rough really. breakdown, yeah. And Yeah, rough in both senses of the word of like <laughs> rough being not entirely accurate and rough of being like, yeah, almost all content in the world is created by like 1% of people. And then the other 99% um, consume it. And then a, a fraction of a percent of those even bother to interact with it. And that interaction includes sharing it. Yeah, so if you are listening and like these podcasts, be one of those people that share and like leave reviews on this podcast and stuff and help, you know, share the love. We can see that. Just like go on Amazon. Like click on, for example, I don't know, go look at the Amazon reviews for PS4 hmm. and you'll see it's got like, what, 10,000? It might have like 10,000 reviews. That's no one pulling out in the ass. But and then go Google how many people actually bought a PS4. And it's like 120 million people. You can see it right there. Yeah. That's something, you know, that's a hobby people are evidently passionate about. And their numbers that when you break them down, some people just refuse to believe them. So it can't be that bad. It's like, well, think about how many people like watch TV shows. Mm -hmm. How many millions of people just sit and watch TV? How many of those people do you think actively go out and then comment on the TV show? Yeah, they might talk about it with their friends. How many people do you think go and discuss it online or um, leave reviews somewhere for it or anything like that? And even when you go move it into an online space where interacting with content is admittedly a lot easier, it's as simple as clicking a button in some cases, like, you know, just click a like button, click a share button, something like that. Mm-hmm. Some people don't even do that. That's why you have almost every content creator um, just begging, like, like, comment, subscribe, because it's impos- almost impossible to get people to do even that. Even when you're reminding them, the numbers, they go up, but they're still very low. Yeah, they're still, like, you know, in that single percent digit. Mm-hmm. And again, I've talked about that, I think, on streams before. And had people say, well, that can't be accurate. And goes, it fucking is. You can see it with your eyes. Yeah. You can see it. And it's just, it's amazing because even when we jokingly do stuff like that in our streams, it, you, you know, if I, if I start actively joking, going, oh, make sure you, you give Carl a sub or make sure, you know, You've you keep the hype train going or whatever. You see people do it even if I'm doing it jestingly. You've like we've both seen it, and I think I've like, it's really uncomfortable to witness, mm-hmm. like just how easily um, it is possible to influence people. And it's one of the things I've been keenly aware of since I started uh, becoming like more of a known figure online. Of like my influence is such that if I just tell people to do something, I 
only 1% of people listening or less are going to do it. But when you've got an audience of like a couple thousand, even a couple hundred, a couple of them are going to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of power for someone to wield. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously just you can expand that out to people that have hundreds of thousands of viewers on Twitch or, millions. you know, millions of views on YouTube and stuff. Like it gets just bigger and bigger. It's why I really don't like the argument of um, when content creators and stuff, especially like the larger ones, um, when they're asked, like, well, can you use some of your influence on your platforms? Like, you know, just say stuff like trans rights Mm -hmm. and like like Black Lives Matter. I'm like, oh, no, I don't think that's really going to make a difference. It fucking does. Like, if you can get a hundred grand a month by saying like, comment, subscribe, you are aware that your words carry weight and that you are able to influence people. In some cases directly and instantaneously mm-hmm. you saying something can instantly make someone do something and you can witness it if you've ever viewed any stream where someone will say uh, like we've experienced haven't we? like when we streamed to, like, to do the big streams it's like oh yeah it'd be nice if people subbed and then you get subs yeah it, it happens almost instantaneously because people are like oh well i want to be the person who does that yeah yeah totally and it's just weird. And that's something I'm aware of and don't like doing because it makes me uncomfortable that I am able to influence people in that way. And to see other content creators influence the stream and stuff deny that they have that influence while actively taking advantage of it mm-hmm. for their own personal gain is fucking infuriating. Yeah, it's not great. Because it's been willfully ignorant. Oh yeah, 100%. And it's because, you know, they're scared of losing a, a bigoted fan or whatever. Why or just rocking the boat. Yeah, or rocking the boat. Like they're just scared of rocking the boat. Oh, it's always a shame. But... Yeah, maybe that wasn't the best um, uh, segue to go on. No, but uh, you know what? We went there, Carl. We went there. Yes. It's just something I find super, super interesting. I find it really fascinating like, how internet culture has um, brought a lot of this stuff to the forefront. Like, the influence that um, celebrities and what have you have, because... Like it or not, because I know some people don't like the idea of like Twitch streamers of being celebrities, they are. Hmm. And that they have power over people. And they can like affect change on a sometimes very dramatic scale. Oh yeah. And um, there's like you know multiple cases of that happening. Um like, probably the most um uh, uh what's the, like, the most visible in recent memory was the push to get PewDiePie as the most subscribed to person when T-Series started coming in. Yeah, I don't know if that's like the most recent example, but that's certainly a massive example. It was one of the most visible because that was in the news. Yeah. Because like, you know, that war between the two was the, like, in the news and just you had so many creators actively pushing for that and you could see just the direct influence they have over their audience. And it's spilling out into the wider world. And then so like you fast forward a couple of years after that, with like the Black Lives Matter movement and those same creators, like, look, uh, I don't think it's my place to say this. I don't think um, uh, I have the uh, ability to change my audience's mind in this regard. It's like, you fuck, you do. Yep. Like, you convince them all to go give a dickhead millionaire more money. That's the thing. If you can, agree, if you can influence people into parting with their hard earned money to give you a, a millionaire some of it, you can convince them to do almost anything. Mm hmm. Yeah, so like getting people to part with money is really is really difficult. And the the one thing that I always feel uncomfortable is that I know that a lot of those people that we've seen, as the Twitch leak showed, 
that they earn, you know, dozens or potentially at the very, very top, top, top echelon for the like top couple, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And their primary source of revenue is like kids giving them pocket money. Mm-hmm. It's like Fortnite streamers and stuff where it's like their primary audience is children and they're getting, you know, dozens of thousands of dollars worth of subs from them. It's like, oh God. And, you know, I don't begrudge them making the money. Like, you know, get that paper, get paid. Yeah, like, yeah, so. sure. And that's just where I, you know, personally draw the line in my own head of like, Oh, so do I, yeah, we've just yeah. talked about that. I don't begrudge people making money. It's when people who make money in that way get pissed off when it gets brought up. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. I've got no problem with someone, you know, doing all that bollocks. It's just be honest about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, be honest about like, your intentions when you're doing this. Like, yeah, I want to make money. And I, I always say, you know what, I respect the hustle, but just, yeah, be try and be a decent human being about it and admit it as well. The thing is, if you could be a piece of shit, just be an admit, like, admit that you're being a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I'd respect like, you a lot it. more. I might not like you, but I'd respect you more. Yeah, I'd, I'd respect the hustle a lot more if you're honest about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you have got people like that. Like, you've got like those um, uh, like those celebrities, um, uh, influencers and stuff. They, they lean into the controversy. Yeah. They lean into like their reputation because fuck it. Like, look at the, the Paul brothers. Yeah, like they know that the majority of people outside of their own audience think they're pieces of shit, and they lean into it because mm-hmm. they know it makes them money. And you've, in some way, you've got to respect them for it. Yeah, so you don't have to like them, but you have to, at the very least, like respect just the thing to be so blatantly themselves. Mm-hmm. Also, not blatantly not that. themselves. I don't even know whether it's you know, them being themselves or them being a persona that they know will cause that kind of controversy and therefore get money. Yeah, and I guess it's quite fitting for... I don't know, are they both done boxing matches or is it just the one of them? I have no clue, Carl. Uh, but I, think, I think Logan Paul and Jake Paul have both done boxing, I want to say, but it's quite fitting that they got into the world of boxing because that itself was also... Uh, or that bo- the boxing world has a lot of personalities like that. Mm-hmm. Like Muhammad Ali is the sterling example, like the number one with a bullet. Like he just chatted shit oh, all yeah. the time. Like he introduced the world to the idea of trash talk. But he and just did it very it. well and could back it up. Yeah, people loved him for it. Yeah, and people would go to his matches to see the shit he'd be talking to his opponent <laughs> before the match. And they love that stuff. And like, no, that that was his personality. And I just see, like, you know, modern-day um, influencers and Twitch streams all that. They're an extension of that. But at least Muhammad Ali was honest. Yeah. Like, when he was chatting that shit, well, he did it to, he, and he was doing it in person. He was chatting that shit to the person's face. They weren't, you know, just doing it online with a fucking anime avatar. He was doing it to their face and, like, bring it. And he could back it up as well. That's the thing. I've got... I have a deep-seated respect for someone who can chat shit like that and then back it up. Mm-hmm. And to anyone wondering, it... I wasn't like programming a microwave any or anything. If that I wonder what up. that was. I'm just turning my fan on because it was a bit warm. Okay, but it's just like beep beep beep. It's like is Lucas just like microwaving a pizza over there? <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? It was an interaction like that online where it's uh, like a UFC fighter or something like that. Um, someone tweeted at him just saying, "Oh man, you were like really crap in your match last night or your commentary or something like that." Mm. 
And he just tweeted and battle like, um, uh, say that to my face. And the guy responded, no, because you kicked my ass. <laughs> and just the guy was like, I, fair enough, I have to respect that. <laughs> I'm just like, no, I'm going to chat shit to you on likes. I know if I did it in person, you'd kick the fuck out of me. And it's like, well, I guess I've got to respect you. You're being a dick, but well, at least you're honest about it. Yeah, I do remember the opposite of that happening once where like, somebody was tweeting, I think, um, a fighter, and then they were like, oh, you know, come at me, I'll take you on. And they just posted them the fucking home address. Like, yeah, mate. <laughs> yeah, I remember on, that one. And the guy immediately backed off like, nope. <laughs> it's like, I'd fucking have you to fight you a bunch of shit. And it's like, here's my address, come and fight me. Like, no, 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 no. That's how you got Raging Ball. Do you know anything about Raging Ball, Juve Ball? Uh, is he the bad director? Oh yeah, the really bad director. Yeah, the one who the famously bad director, like movie, uh, video game movies. Mm-hmm. He's a terrible, terrible director. But he very famously, or infamously, depending on um, how you like to view the story, um, challenged a bunch of his harshest critics to a boxing match. <laughs> and a bunch of his critics accepted this invitation to a boxing match because they didn't think Uwe Boll was being serious. They thought he was taking the piss. And they're like, oh, he's never going to beat us up. And it's like, Uwe Boll was 100% serious. Also, for folks who are wondering, Uwe Boll was a former amateur boxer. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. And he's built like a brick fucking shithouse. And he was dead set on weaving these people's faces into the canvas. And what makes it so funny is that prior to the boxing match, a lot of them were chatting shit. Of like, oh, yeah, he's not going to do anything like that. He makes shit movies, he's probably a shit boxer. And then they went for like the weigh-in, I want to say, and saw Uwe Boll with his shirt off fucking tanked, <laughs> practicing against a heavy bag. And then they realized they signed a contract to fight him and they couldn't get out of it. Oh, God. And but... I think Uwe Boll made a documentary about it called Raging Boll, where you have footage of them like, the fuck have I signed up for? He's going to kick the shit out of me. Why did I agree to this? The weird stipulation with that one, though, is they weren't criticizing his fighting ability. No, they were criticising his, um, uh, his filmmaking his ability. And so, he took umbrage to that and challenged them to a physical fight. That, which is, but you didn't prove or disprove our point, did you, there? <laughs> no, well, that was like one of the things that they brought up in there. I think it's like, yeah, he's, he's obviously trying to deflect because his movies are bad and now he's trying to physically fight us over it. But the fact that they agreed to it and didn't realise how serious he was, that he was going to kick the shit out of them. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things where there's, there's, no, there's no winners in that. Because Uwe Ball comes across like it was just him wailing on a bunch of nerdy guys on like skinny nerdy guys who review movies. Mm-hmm. It's like so. Not only did you not defend their point, you also beat the shit out. <laughs> it's like when they're not fighters. But in a way, though, you again, you kind of have to respect him for being like, "Oh, I don't like what you said. I want to fight you." And he chal- and it's not like he went. It, the thing is, he could have. Well, he couldn't have done, but. There are situations where stuff like that happens and you get to someone go suck a punch to someone. Have you witnessed that at all? Like arguments break out. Yeah, yeah. Person, and and uh, that is a dick fucking move. Mm-hmm. But the idea of like formally asking them to fight you and then paying them for the fight and making them sign a contract for it, it's, that's, the, that's the extra step that I respect because he, he formalized it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, not only did you agree to this fight, like, we, as you say, we fully did this formally and just got a contract written up and everything, that you had so much time to back out of me beating the shit out of you. Yeah, you're the one who agreed to it and didn't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. 
So he didn't blindside him. He didn't like no confront. You know, he gave them time, gave them warning, gave them training time. It's just that extra step. He's like, I, I, I know that it's a, like he was being a bella. He was being a salty ass, but it's still really funny that he actually got them to agree to it. Oh god, yeah. As you say, it's a way better approach than just sucker punching somebody when they insult you. Yeah, I again, I can speak to this because there is a guy who periodically messages me saying, I want to fight you. And this is a real story for people wondering how there's a guy who every now and again me- sends me a direct message from a new account saying, I want to fight you. And I believe he's made YouTube videos talking about how he wants to beat me up. Oh my God. And he's commented on a bunch of stuff that I've like, um, I'm involved in online saying, I want to fight Carl. And it got to the point where he sent me a message saying, I want to fight you. I will fly you out to where I'm at so we can have a fist fight. Fucking hell. And, for the, and I got to a point where I was really tempted to just say yes. Joe and I was like at my peak of going to the gym. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really tempted to do it just to see what happened. <laughs> so I was like, the thing is, because he's been doing it for so long, it's like, he clearly wants to fight me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm really curious about what a person who's this obsessed is, like, physically looks like in person. Because I can't imagine someone who's actually physically capable of beating somebody up <laughs> would dedicate that much time to being online. Because they're, surely they'd be doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. You would hope so. You'd hope so. That's what I'd hope, anyway, because they might have beaten me up. I mean, yeah. But... That'd have been rough. I would, I would like to train as well. Oh, God. But that's the thing I find... it's. I, I just respect the thing of, like, I want to physically fight you in real life. I will fly you out <laughs> to me. It's like, that's the extra step of, like, you know what? It's kind of tempting just to say I did it. Yeah. Because that's the thing as well. If it's a formalized fight and uh, they're really big, I'll just let them hit me once and go down. Say, well, <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks for the holiday. I hope you feel better. Yeah. Like, Please fly me out in a week so I can come and enjoy this place. Yeah. Because I'm in that mindset of, like, do you know those things, like, would you fight Mike Tyson for $100 million? It's like, yeah. It's like, but he'd kill you. He's not going to kill me. It's going to really, really, really hurt. But, as you say, you can take one or two punches, go down like a bag of shit and not get back up. Yeah. But it just, that, that vision reminds me of, Carl, would you take, say, three million pounds to be in the ring with him for three minutes. Do I have to get... That's the thing, though. He probably knocked me out in the first ten seconds. No, no, it's no. no about because, Carl, like... if the match lasts two minutes, you don't get money because three minutes in the ring. Uh, I'm bringing in Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire That's the thing. tech. I would take the money because obviously it's a life-changing amount of money. I don't think I'd be able to do it. Yeah. Uh, if Mike Tyson was taking it seriously, there is no fucking way in hell I'd be able to even stay on my feet. Do you think you could run away from Mike Tyson in a ring for three minutes? No. You don't actually have to attempt to fight him. Yeah. This thing, because if you ran away, you'd get disqualified. If you're going by like proper Queensbury rules, if I like like ran away to the other side of the ring, I'd get like you know fouls. Oh, like, right. Maybe I'd have to like just invest in like a trainer and be like, okay, yeah, what maybe. do I do? what do I do to survive being hit? Like, how often can I clinch and get away with it? Because the thing is, even if you try to clinch with Mike Tyson, can you imagine giving Mike Tyson an unguarded shot to your ribs? <laughs> You'd be fucking damn. Yeah. And obviously, said, you know, we're using Mike Tyson as an example here. Probably not the best example because he's not... No, I think he is. In his prime My- anymore. 
But Mike Tyson's the best example because like in his prime, he was fucking unstoppable. Like people were basically being paid a million dollars to get the shit kicked out of them. Like he was unstoppable in his prime, and even now, I still won't do it. Would you take three minutes in the ring with Bonesaw and wrestle a match? Bonesaw McGraw, no. <laughs> that's, all, I, I, that's it. I don't think anybody will turn up the chance to do it, but I, I am highly doubtful there is anybody who's not, at the very least, like an amateur boxer who could even stay on their feet for a minute. Yeah, yeah, let alone three minutes. Yeah, I legitimately don't think there's many people out there who could even take one punch unguarded from Mike Tyson. Because that's the thing you say, well, it would be guarded. No, it wouldn't. It's Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson <laughs> even if you held could it. get around the guard of professional boxers. No, he punched through the guard. That was his thing. Even if you guarded, he punched through your guard. And there are stories of people like getting their hands broken because Mike Tyson just punched their hands oh into their head and they broke their own fist against their own skull. <laughs> yeah, like... You're not stopping Mike Tyson punching you, whether you think you are or not. Unless you say, you can... uh, this does not obviously apply to people who are trained in fighting in some way. It's just, if we're talking about average Joe who's never been trained to fight. I even think people who've trained in fighting won't stand a chance. Well, it depends on the level of trainer, doesn't it? Yeah, unless they are like, you know, amateur to professional level. Mm-hmm. Just the 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 difference between the level of skill and strength and like the technical ability between them is just all-encompassing. Like, it's Tyson all day. It's like we talked, I think it was like eight to nine months ago now about that um, just poll of like, do you think you could take a single point off Serena Williams in tennis? And like 75% of men are like, yeah, I could beat Serena Williams. Oh, God, yeah. It's like, no, it's like, she would just score against you with an ace on every serve. Yeah. She can serve at like 120 miles an hour and consistently return serves of a similar speed. Mm-hmm. Like, most, I don't think most people could even see the ball. <laughs> so even if they give you the benefit of the doubt, okay, you can serve first. She's going to return whatever serve you do at 120 miles an hour. And then it's her go, and it's just five fucking <laughs> in a row. <laughs> so I don't reckon most people could even get to the ball in enough time, let alone hit it. Let alone hit it with enough finesse to knock it back over the net. And let alone return the thing that like, she's got, like, the, the next 100 miles an hour. Yeah return she's going to do. But so many people are like, no, I reckon I could take one point off. It's like, the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> oh. But I, I know for a fact, if you ask that question online, there are a bunch of people like, yeah, I could. I, could, I reckon I could survive three minutes in the ring with him. It's like, no. survive, you'd survive, but you'd be in hospital for like a month. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, as you say, if it was... Just the only rule is you need to fight this person. I'd take it. If it was the caveat of you have to last a round, I don't think I... Well, I'd, again, I'd go to hospital attempting it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, It's one of those things that you see online quite a bit that always pisses me off. Of Would you rather questions where it is. Would you rather... And it's like minor inconvenience for literal life-changing amount of money. It's like, of course. Mm-hmm. And would you rather questions are so fucking boring because it's always, would you accept this minor inconvenience for changing your life? I've always seen ones where it's like, oh, um, you know, those posts of, would you stop talking to the first person in your contact list for $20 million or something? Or would you live with somebody that you hate for a, a billion pounds? Like, yes. Yeah. Yes, I would. Unless it happened answer- to be like, for example, you 
or my girlfriend that I had to stop talking even then, to. Even then, if you've got to stop talking to me forever and you just used a million of those dollars to pay a guy to come to my house say, Lucas had an offer to never talk to him again <laughs> for $20 million. Here's a million dollars as an apology. I wish you the best of luck in life. I wish you the best, but I hope you understand that this was a, you know, a life-changing amount of money. We still, we, I still consider you to be a friend, but these are the terms of the deal. I'd, I'd probably accept that. No, yeah, to be fair, if, if that happened the other way around, just you just posted me like a million pounds or whatever and just went, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, I'm a billionaire now, but I'm not allowed to talk to you specifically. Is that fair? Yeah, I can, still talk, I can still talk to you through other people. <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous, isn't it? It's like I've said it to uh, me and my girlfriend have talked about it like, casually, like, you know, in that joking way of like, would you mind if we go out? Because you know, we start going out more now. If other guys flirt with me, like, I really do not give a shit because in my head, if they've got enough swagger to pull that shit off and convince my girlfriend, who's like, you know, been with me for like two years and lives with me, to go home with them in like five minutes of conversation, clearly they're doing a better job than I am. <laughs> and that's my approach to If they're that good, they can pull that shit off. They fucking deserve it at that point. You're better yeah. off with them. I mean, that <laughs> that's the thing is, I'm, I'm bothered about a guy attempting to flirt with my girlfriend in front of me. Yes, but... because that's like the thing of, they think they can pull that shit off in front of me. But like, if she goes out with her girlfriends and a guy tries to dance with her, I don't, I'm not bothered by that. I'd be bothered if like, you know, the guy didn't take the hint and fu- didn't fuck up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's different because that's not flirting, that's harassment at that point. Yeah. But the idea of, like, do you mind? It's like, no, because he doesn't know you're in a relationship. Mm. And in all honesty, if you tell him that and he can still pull that shit off, you know what? He deserves it. (laughs) And also, there's just, you know, I would hope in a healthy relationship there's that level of trust there. Yeah. Like, no, you know what? I I trust you to go out and deal with that situation yourself. But it's just that, um, it's a similar concept, isn't it? Like, if they're good enough to pull that shit off, fair play to them. <laughs> I respect it. I don't like it, but I respect it. Oh, God. That, I would like just a letter of explanation. It's like all those ones, it's like, oh, um, would you um, uh, let your partner cheat on you for a billion dollars? And I think it's like a breakdown from a girl of, I'd be in the room coaching him. <laughs> I'd be coaching him how to give it to that girl in the best possible way and then we're both going to take a billion dollar holiday it's like oh god you know so what we're going to take one for the team so we talked about a squid game last week in which we discussed like there are very few things people won't do for a life changing amount of money not even a life changing amount of money just some amount of money that will make their lot a bit easier yeah and I think you know I, I think I saw something of like saying, oh, um, the amount of money they won in Squid Game was like, you know, about $40 million. At that point, I would start questioning murdering a bunch of people, but the question would still be there in my head. I reckon, though, in the situation you are in Squid Game, where there's that plausible deniability, and you know as well you're going to get away with it. Yeah, because no one even knows the game's happening. Yeah, no spoilers to think, but like, you know, I think it's pretty like people die in that show. It's like mm-hmm. you have that like just way of um, insulating yourself from the thought that you killed the person. So I had no choice. Yeah, it's like self defense. Yeah, yeah, you can like the argument of self defense. Well, I had no choice. I had to kill them. So I guess that assuages the guilt somewhat. But even then, and it's, it's not really I... you actively killing them a lot of the time. It's more just they happen to be losing at a game. 
Well, it's the trolley problem, isn't it? Yeah. Of, um, uh, would you watch five people... Would you watch someone get hit by a trolley? Or would you watch five people get hit by a trolley? Or would you pull actively pull the lever that saves those five people but kills one person? I saw some, some tweet or something go around of like, as an engineer, I get really frustrated by the trolley problem because not only is that trolley broken, it means that like so many regulations have been broken, which then means that so many people down the line all didn't do their job for this trolley problem to occur. Yeah. It's a good... It, um, uh... it's, it's still a good hypothetical, though. Yeah, and it's an interesting one as well because you generally get like a split down the middle. Um, it's a really, I think, most psychology courses and um, will ask that question in the first couple of weeks mm. as an example of the different ways people can approach something psychologically. Of like, um, some people would not because in their head, like, no, it's out of their hands. It's like, yeah. Well, no, it was going to happen. It's like the same as like you know, just standing by and watching someone get hit by a car. Yeah, a lot of the time with the the trolley problem, people use the explanation in their head of, I'm not killing them by letting it happen, but if I actively change the situation, I am killing them. Yeah, and it's different for different people. Mm -hmm. But I hear that one a lot of, no, because if I don't touch the lever, I didn't do anything, but the moment I get involved, then I become a killer. Yeah, and for you, Lucas, what is, have you ever thought about this? Uh, what would you do? Would you pull the Would you pull the lever and save the five people but kill the one? I don't know. It depends. Or would, you, or would you stand by? Do I get um, a look at the people beforehand? You do not. Okay. In my, almost every version of this story, you do not get to know. Because so I was like, if it's five kids people, sticking about on the tracks, I might just pull the lever. <laughs> yeah, you just know that there are five lives compared to one. Uh, and that I think five it depends lives lost the day by. you'd ask me to be honest. Yeah, I think it's the same as true of a lot of people and. There are a lot of like arguments, like you know, what is morally right, mm-hmm. like what is the moral um, uh, answer to that question. The answer is there is no moral answer. Like, the whole point is that there's no correct answer. Yeah, is that there's a reason that hypothetical, as you mentioned, is so ridiculous that engineers like it would never happen in real life. It's so, an artificially engineered situation where it puts you in this impossibly perfect um, a situation. You've got to make this impossibly perfect moral quandary. Yeah, yeah, and there's a reason that it's still one of the most widely used examples. Yeah. I do like the one that happened at the start of the pandemic. You can stop the trolley at any time and save all these people's lives, but profit will be slightly decreased. <laughs> it's just like a CEO, like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, what do I do? I don't know what the solution is. It's like, pull the fucking lever. <laughs> Productivity will decrease slightly, but people will be saved. Carl, whatever we'll do. i tell you what we'll do. We'll get them back to the office. Back to the oh, there was another one of them of this week. The, We've been beating so a dead many. horse about this, but I, I'm going to find the fucking article. Like, it is so obvious now that these articles are being like outsourced by companies. Yeah, yeah. Like, companies are outsourcing the writing of these articles to try and get it in the zeitgeist that no, going back to the office is the right, the moral thing to do. Mm-hmm. So we just find like the last one that went here it is. So. This is Careers Inside, and it's published on October 20th, so just one week ago today. Oh, yeah, I think I might have seen this one, yeah. So, in the not-so-distant past, we spent more time at work than almost anywhere else, but office life is on its way out. About 85% of Gen Zers say they want the ability to work remotely. This has implications for how people grow, mature, and learn. And I just summed it up as, um, like, business owners are so fucking salty that people's life no longer revolves around work. Yeah, they are, they are. They really are. Um, would you like to just go through, like, you know, this um, uh, this article with me? 
Uh, Let's just go for the highlights, because we have done this kind of article before. We have, but I think the fact that they keep happening and that they are very, very clearly being put out by businesses. Mm -hmm. Because they're trying to change the narrative on this. They're they're just so mad that people's lives no longer roll around. Adolescence, a period of intense emotional, physical, and biological growth. Also, this is on Careers Insider. Just people who want to know, it's Careers Insider, um, it's Business Insider, it's their Careers Insider. Um, uh, I'll put this out. Okay. So it's, it starts as early as nine and ends around age 25. Your surroundings and social interactions play a big role in aiding that development, says Erica Cosima. In an informal Slack survey, um, colleagues of um, Knight RM um, in their 30s and 40s heartily agreed their response were all variations on the same basic theme. Being in an office day in, day out is an education in human nature. And Lucas, what are your thoughts on this? Go fuck off. <laughs> like, That's the thing, isn't it? Like, the way I summed it up, they, it's, it's people in their 30s and 40s who have no social life outside of work. Mm-hmm. That's The only people who want to go back to the office are people who have no life outside of it. And why the fuck would anyone ever choose that life? Yeah. So I want to say, like, and that's one of the things I've seen with the uh, the pandemic, people working from home, it's like younger people love it. It's like I already have a pretty healthy social life mm-hmm. outside of my job, and this allows me to enjoy more of that. I have like you know a very rich personal life where I have hobbies, I have interests, I have friends, and then it's the people that are in their thirties and forties who are like, I can't wait to get back to office. And to be because fair, they're just though, sat in their house doing nothing. Like I have seen quite a lot of people, you know, in the you know, like, you know, a lot of people who are late millennials or um, like mm-hmm. Gen Xers, for example, just commenting on stuff like that, Careers Insider page, just going, you know what, I'm really happy that younger generations are getting out of the habit of work is life. You know, that's the one, isn't it? There's two ways to respond sometimes as somebody who grew up with it, mm-hmm. as someone who's like, you know, their formative years and their, you know, early adulthood was spent living to work. Yeah. It's either you can get pissed off like, why are they able to do something I couldn't mm-hmm. or be happy for them? It's the same thing like student loans and student loan forgiveness oh, yeah, where yeah. whenever you hear the topic of, or whenever the topic of student loan forgiveness comes up, people who've paid off their student loans get, either get pissed off about the idea of, well, why do they get something I didn't? Yeah. Or I'm happy other people will not have to go through the shit that I had to do to pay it off. And I still, anytime that something like this comes up, I still get a flashback to like something that I saw online a couple of years back where on I don't know how long it was, but a little while ago. Um and it was just a picture of like these young girls in like a classroom or something enjoying like fake champagne and a party and stuff. And the comments were all just like, this is horrible. Like, why do they get this? This was not what it was like when I was back in school. It's like um is that is that a bad thing? I hate that the next generation has more opportunities than I do. It's like the isn't the whole point? Isn't that the aim? <laughs> yeah, the whole aim. I guess like it's better to frame it with kids because the whole it's like when people get pissed off that their kids have more opportunities than they do. It's like but I thought the whole point of having kids is like you want your kids to have better opportunities than you did. Mm-hmm. Why would you get mad that they've been offered? It's like, oh, also as well, I think it's great because um, the survey they did. So let's have a look. Knight RM is a senior correspondent for Business Insider. So a, a very obviously 
unbiased view here, mm. someone who works for fucking Business Insider, um, one of their colleagues responded, a year into my first job, my work nemesis got a promotion that I wanted, and I spent an afternoon at my desk willing myself not to cry. And this is something they put up as an example of why working in the office is good. Wait, that, that that's destroy- defending office workspace? Yeah, that, that's one of the things they put up of like, yeah, it teaches you to grow as a person. It's like, No, because that off. meant instead of having a safe place to go away and vent your frustration... You had to just sit there and not have a mental breakdown in front of all of your colleagues. We, 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 got, we, got, we got another one here. So we have uh, Glenda D. Shaw, the author of Better You, Better Friends. Um, the workplace is a peculiar mix of competition and congeniality. Um, it's, a, it's all about navigating friendships at work. We have a quote from her here. You find who you can trust and who you need to be wary of. You discover who you can be yourself with and who you need to edit yourself around. And you also find out sometimes the hard way who's loyal and who's more self-centered. It's like... Why is that my fucking problem? Why is it my fucking problem if people don't like me being myself at work? Fuck you. Also, none of that is exclusive to being in person. No. That still applies to working online with other people because you're still working within a, a team of varied people and personalities. Well, Glenda Shaw has a response to that, Lucas. When you're working remotely, it's also easy to disappear or simply choose to avoid certain people when you need to deal with conflict or resolve communicational challenges. She does acknowledge, though, it is possible to learn. It's that thing of like, yeah, when I'm working remotely, I don't have to deal with assholes. Why is it Why is my problem? Thing? Yeah, it's the thing is, Joe, who says that? Assholes. Yeah. Like, oh, like Joe, dickhead managers who are now, we've talked about them, like, they're pissed off they can't micromanage people. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's, I can't make sure my, my, my employees are working. Because, well, they are working. Well, I need to make sure. Why? Is the job getting done? Well, yeah. So, but I need to make sure they're not like slacking off at home. It's like, but why is it why matter? Does it matter? Still, they're, still getting, it, they're still getting their job done, aren't they? Well, yeah, but how do I know that they're using their the time productively? Because the job's still getting done. And that's what's so fascinating about these articles where they contradict their own message so much, usually within like a, like a few sentences. <laughs> Of like people like the the office is really important, and then they in their defence of why office life is good. Say, well, when you work remotely, you can avoid people you don't like. It's like that's a benefit. That's such a like. There are so many people at work I fucking hate dealing with. Yeah. Oh God. But sure, Lucas. To be sure, the office is not a mystical place of personal enlightenment. It's also not an ideal venue for creativity and innovation, despite what some CEOs in corporate America say. But there may be some unintended consequences to remote work when it comes to our personal growth, especially for young people. Said Janine Turner, a professor at George, Georgetown's McDonoghue School of Business. We have a quote from her here. The tough thing about 20-somethings is that they don't even know what they're missing out on. How do you create a yearning for what you're missing if you don't even know it's lost? Oh my God. <laughs> Lucas, do you like working nights? I'm sorry, Lucas, have you ever worked nights? Uh... I mean, personally, working from home, I choose to work a lot of nights because I'm a bit well, more like, productive. Have you ever worked a job where you have to work at night? Uh, no. I have. Well, obviously, have. Uh, when you say night, I haven't done like a night shift as in an overnight shift. I've worked until, you know, one o'clock in the morning and gone home. No, I've done night shifts. Like when I had to work to like five, six in the morning. Right, yeah, so yeah. I was doing like um, uh, stock checks and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I know from personal experience that it sucks ass. So I can speak with authority and experience that that sucks ass. But Lucas, do you need to know that working those nights sucks ass to just know from, like, no, just what you imagine it's going to be like that it sucks? I mean, no, and what other people have told me through their experiences as well. 
In the same way, Lucas, have you ever worked in an office environment? No. Well, I mean, other than the quote-unquote office that we work in for Vacfeen, but that's not a typical mm. office environment. Yeah, but have you heard about office life? Have you experienced it? I know. Yeah, I know plenty um, of people uh, that work in offices and moan about them all the time, including yeah, my girlfriend I, who didn't enjoy working in an office. And that's the thing. You don't always need a personal experience with something to know you don't like it. It's like you get this a lot with like, oh, well, how do you know the full context of this story if you've not like, I think like a Dave Chappelle thing is a really good example of this. Like, if you've not watched the special, how do you know that you don't like it? It's like, because I've seen the snippets and the subject matter is something I vehemently disagree with. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see these things to know that I'm not going to like it. And I've seen the people that do and don't disagree with it. And it's like, well, I think I fall on one side of this um, argument based on it's the like, arguments that I'm seeing and the people that I'm seeing have them. Yeah, it's that thing. Like, I think trans people matter and that their lives are not... Um, uh, their experience is valid. I don't think I need to listen to someone who's like fundamentally disagrees with that. It's like clicking on the profiles involved. of people that are defending it and going, oh, I can see what kind of person you are. Okay. Yeah, or is emboldening those who do. Mm-hmm. To know that, I'm probably going to disagree with them. It's like, Joe, you know what that is, Lucas? That is using your already learned experiences to inform your decision-making. And Joe, you know what that is? Like, that's part of being an adult. But I didn't learn that working at Nando's. No. Well, you know from like, you know your experience in life and the stuff you've heard from other people and just you know witnessing the culture surrounding work. That is something that you don't like. And the idea that, how do you know you don't like it if you've never done it? Mm-hmm. Like, that can matter, like, you know, trying tapas. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe something like small. But when they're saying, like, how do you know that you don't like working yourself to the bone for a micromanaging, like, miserly boss? Mm-hmm. It's like, well... I don't think I, I don't think I need to experience it to know that that's probably bad because it sounds awful. And also, everybody else I know in that position has said it's awful. Yeah, it's it's so weird. Like they're trying to do that reverse psychology thing, aren't they? Mm. So how do you create a yearning for what you're missing? It's like, do people say this about fucking working in the mines? I mean, nobody I know that worked in office, apart from people that uh, you know have bad experiences at home actually have any sort of yearning to go back to the office it's the thing of it's like it's the same every single time there is a cultural shift in the world towards a new form of doing things there are always those people who are like but what about if we go back it's like i think something that came around early in regards to like the dave Chappelle thing is like joe the actor who played grandpa joe in challenge chocolate factory yeah like that actor, like he was like a super old, like he was fucking like acting like the 1930s and 40s. That's how fucking old he mm. is. But someone dug up a quote from him where they said that you are no longer allowed to do blackface minstrel shows on television mm. because they're fucking racist. There's a quote from him saying, Well, it's a shame that we're not able to do these anymore because it's such a big part of American culture. And I feel like the younger generation is going to miss out on a lot of entertainment and they're going to miss out on, like, you know, a core part of the American cultural experience from this. Oh, God. Joe. And like Why? you fast forward, and that's the thing. It's like you look at it and go, "Fuck you, old man." Things are changing, mm-hmm. and you know in his head, it's like, "Well, how do you know you don't like minstrel shows? You've never, how do you know the racist? You've never seen one." It's like because they're fucking racist. <laughs> people that I know and trust, and like just have informed the decision. Like you know, people have already done the fucking legwork to tell me that this shit's racist. I don't need to see one for myself to judge that. Mm-hmm. 
So they are office. People have been working offices for so fucking long that I know I'm not going to like one because they've done it. Yeah, they've done it, and they've told me, and I trust their opinion on this matter. And the only the only times I hear people, I'd say, like out in certain experiences where they're like, yeah, it would be nice to get back to the office because it's really hard working while I've got like the baby screaming at home or something, mm-hmm. or I haven't got a room to have made an office room. I don't have the space in my flat or whatever. Other than that, like it's not that they enjoy being in the office; it's that their experience of working remotely is also not ideal. Yes, and I'm just going to go to the bathroom and we'll finish this. Yeah, that's all right. Whew. So sorry about that, Lucas. I, uh, you know, I've drank quite a bit of coffee um, uh, prior to this meeting, meeting podcast. No, no, this is a business meeting, Carl. Yeah. I hope you're in yeah, the office. Good... I am in the office actually. Yeah, and uh, all the lights are off because they're doing a um, power test. Oh God. That's quite nice. Carl just podcasting but in the dark. Podcasting in the to dark. To be fair, it's spooky Podca- season, Carl. It is. We're podcasting in the dark, after dark. And I just want to just like complete like um, uh, my thoughts about the idea of like, because I really, really don't like this, this, this whole line of thinking of, how do you know if you haven't watched, experienced, seen, done the thing? Because that is, I hate that way of thinking because it completely dismisses the idea of, reviews and critics and just like you no know, trusting others opinion mm-hmm. listening to other people call it's a novel thing i know it's it's also as well i'd argue another valuable life skill that you need <laughs> to learn as an adult like for example um if a random person that i meet in the street or like you know someone online tells me that a movie's not very good or a game's not very good mm-hmm. that's probably not going to slight you know shift my opinion very much but say if you told me a movie's not very good or a game's not very good I'm probably going to like, you know, take more heed of that and like in my head think, okay, this movie's probably not very good because I trust Lucas's opinion because I know him personally and I know that he has like a pretty good head on his shoulders and that we seem to agree in most regards, like morally, ethically, all that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's one of those of I know that I have similar taste to you for for a lot of things, you know, um and if I was to say something is bad I'd tell you, yeah, it's it's bad. But if I thought, oh, well, you know, this film or game wasn't for me, but I know it's to Carl's taste, I would know to tell you that. Yeah, and um, in that way, you are able to form an opinion of something without ever interacting with it because you are able to interact with the people who interact. Like, it's secondhand. Admittedly, it's not as good as, like, you know, say in regards to you watching the movie yourself, but... The idea that I am you can't form an opinion on something mm-hmm. until you physically interact with it is completely bullshit. Yep, and it's, it's one of those of just, like, I get, as you say, just go, going up to random review or getting review from random person or whatever, that is just something where you, well, how, how do I know? I'm not informed enough to know whether that opinion matters to me. Also, as well, if that opinion is one that is like, because uh, I, I like to think, like, you know, we're the same way, like our job title, whether they're like or not, is influencer. Mm-hmm. And I hope there are people out there who, you know, trust our opinion because they know, they've listened to enough of our content to, like, know that we align in similar ways, whether it be our interests, our morals, what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and somebody could probably, who's listening for like a long time, could probably glean whether, you know, for example, what I've said about Nintendo Switch Online today, whether that feels on their level, whether that's a good deal or not for them. 
they could probably if they if they know me well enough just through osmosis of listening to my opinions for long enough that yeah and it's it's this really unfair way of framing things, and it's something normally, not always, but normally used by assholes. Because how many times have you seen like piece of shit on Twitter or right wing knobhead being like, "Well, how can you criticize me if you've not even like you know watched my content?" It's like because your content is enjoyed by racists, mm-hmm. and the fact it's enjoyed by racists means that I'm probably not going to like it. Yeah, the fact I that don't the common to... denominator in your fan base is that they're all a bunch of racists. It's like, well, yeah. So how do you criticize something else? I'm not criticizing like, the content itself. I'm not saying like, you know, the, f- the form in which it was created, put out, and it's like, you know, overall existence in the online space. And like, you know, the audience it has curated is one that I fundamentally disagree with. So I cannot ever consider like, you know, see myself being entertained by something. It's like, uh, you know, with comedians, mm. like, you know, the Dave Chappelle thing, him telling transphobic jokes, jokes that upset trans people. So, well, well, how do you know you don't like them? So, because they're upsetting people who I think, like, you know, have valid reasons to be upset and having their, like, you know, their, 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 their humanity question. I think the one that I always I enjoy is, oh, well, there's no need for you to get beh- um, offended on their behalf. It's like, well, I'm not. I've just noticed that they've all been offended. And I'm aware of that. And it's something that's in my head because I have empathy. Mm-hmm. I have empathy for their situation and like understand that they are probably really annoyed about this. And for that reason, it colours my perception of this thing. So I'm going to go into it with negative uh, associations anyway just because of this reaction because nothing, do- nothing exists in a vacuum. Yeah. Oh, dear. It's just baffling to me that, that it's like, yeah, you need to experience it for yourself, Carl. It's like, well, not, not always. It's a club used to um, uh, drown out criticism. Like, there's um, a really great a music story about this. Where it's a, a singer, I forget his name, but he wrote a song about being in a coma, being stupid. Mm-hmm. And then that singer got in a car crash and was in a coma. And then the first thing he was asked when he woke up is, so what's it like being in a coma? And his answer was, it's just as stupid as it was in my song. Uh, I think that's that's interesting. It's like Lucas. Like, do you like being kicked in the balls? No. Have you ever been kicked in the balls? No. But it's, it looks like it hurts. Yeah. But how do you know if you don't do it? It's like I I reckon being kicked in the balls fucking us. But how do you know unless you know? Because every time I've seen it happen, the person recoils in pain. But if you've not been kicked in the balls yourself, how do you know? I might love it. Carl. You see what I mean? Like, no, you see what I mean? Like when you like frame it like mm-hmm. that. It's like, oh, sticking your hand into a bee's nest is a bad idea. How do you know unless you've done it? Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. Like, don't, don't just pay attention to any kind of history or anything. Well, well, this is the thing, yeah, well, this is the thing where they're talking about it being an adult skill. Like, this isn't even an adult skill. This is a skill of humans where humans, like when we first like, got into our hunter-gatherer stage, the way humans were able to survive and thrive as a species was because shared stories were like oh this berry kills you if you this berry makes you ill if you eat it yeah shared information and noticing you know opinions and skills of others yeah and that would happen then it'd be and after a generation or two it's just that berry's bad and the thing is the people that know that berry's bad never actually ate the berry or interact with someone who ate the berry they just know because they trust the opinion and the the stories told by their ancestors the same way yeah so i've never seen a black and white minstrel show Unlike apparently the granddad from 
Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but I know I probably wouldn't like it and that it's racist as fuck. Yeah, and therefore I would not enjoy it and I don't think it's missing from our culture or whatever he said. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to like single in on that or zero in on that because I really hate that idea because it's often used as a club. And uh, for people out there who maybe have seen this used as a gotcha and don't know how to argue against it, mm-hmm. when it gets brought up of like, because it, again, it's one of the things that gets brought up like these weird, weird right-wing shitheads. Like, um, it's one of the things I've seen a lot of um, they, those weird right-wing videos. They always release like four and a half hour long videos mm. of like, and it's just like a racist, sexist screed against like Star Wars. So, well, how do you criticize if you're not watching? It's like, and then it's like, I'm not going to give him four hours of my fucking time to tell you he's a moron. I can tell he's a moron by looking at the, like, you know, the one sentence tweets he's put out. Yeah, and obviously, and use that's... them to form my opinion of someone who's unable to, you know, collect their thoughts for a single fucking sentence. Probably not going to do very well over four hours. No, and that that's one of those things of you are therefore not offering a criticism <laughs> of that video. You are just saying I have outside information showing to me that I do not want to engage with this stuff. But I would say, you know, if you were a person sitting there and criticizing the video itself for, um, you know, things that you would need to watch it for, yeah, I think you have to watch that. Okay, yeah. You, know, you need to sing like that, like that. But I, the racist tweets are the berries. <laughs> They're the berries. And I've had the berries, and I know the berries are bad. I don't want... And now, now knowing that the berries are bad and poisonous does not mean I have to go into the bush and stand around inside the poisonous berries to like to say for sure the berries are bad. Yeah. It's probably a mixed-up analogy, but I, I really don't like that. No, and that's the thing is, I think there's a big difference between, um, you know, needing to engage with something to give it ample criticism or, like, not knowing it's a good thing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, there's also the thing as well of um, uh, engaging it critically um, uh, gives it legitimacy, and some things don't deserve legitimacy. <laughs> it's like that thing of like doing your shit on something, like again, like weird right wing people when you're just like, oh, what a knobhead or whatever. It's like, well, you're not even engaging with them, it's like because they don't deserve it. Yeah. They're not approaching this from, a, they're being disingenuous in their approach to this subject, so I'm not going to give them the legitimacy of like proper criticism. They don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. They're approaching this in a manner where they're not trying to engage. Um, in an actual debate or um, discussion of a subject, they're trying to shut it down or score points. Either way, so it goes on. So uh, there may be some unintended... We've got that yet. So next one. So what's the answer for Gen Z as Lucas, an intentional focus on building relationships at work? They mustn't give in to temptation to hide from uncomfortable situations. We tend to make decisions around things we don't want to do. You don't want to meet with the person who gets on your nerves, and you want to avoid the person you find difficult. But the fact is, those challenging circumstances and conversations help you grow. And this is the same thing, isn't it? Of like, oh, just it's just a difference of ideas and opinions. Did we not just and go sometimes, through that one? No, this is the second one. It's like it's building from that, and it's the same, and I saw it coming up. Oh, okay. So I wanted to like go into that of like it's a good um, uh, jumping off point for this thing. Like, it's yeah, been you, like you ten minutes. I'm trying to remember which bit we read. And like, there are some things I guess like you know you don't want to meet with a person who gets on your nerves. But what about if the person who gets on your nerves is like a racist old fossil at work? Mm-hmm. I'd say it's a good thing that people no longer have to interact with that. But what about if it's like, you know, the sexist boss who always passes women over for promotions or their good ideas and they're now unable to do so because everything's done remotely? I mean, I could argue that they're still probably able to do that, but just being an asshole and having to work with someone, at least working remotely, all you have to do is the work and not necessarily the interacting part. Like, you can 
boil it down to just emailing across whatever they need rather than having a conversation with them. But you know the one thing I noticed about this, Lucas, here? It's like, you don't want to meet with the person who gets on your nerves. You want to avoid the person that is, you want to avoid the person who is difficult. Why is the onus on me to work with them rather than the onus being on them to change? Mm-hmm. And this is what this entire article is. It's like, we don't want to change as a business. You should change to um, fit with us. It's like, no, the world has changed and we've changed with it and the business themselves refuses to and they want it to go back to the way it was. People don't so like why change, is it on no. me? Yeah. But again, to like bring it back to like, you know, the arguments online and stuff like that, it's like, why is it on me to go down to the same level as the asshole? Why don't they just stop being an asshole? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, generally speaking, the people who are in that situation argument, I don't want things to change, are the assholes. And it's like, yeah, you can't approach that person. You can't make them change because they're already stubborn and set in the ways. And it doesn't mean that you should, you know, bend to their will or whatever. It's just very hard to to make them see anything other than their own opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's that thing as well of, like, some people may not picked up from this because it's... Um... A visual aspect of this article is that the picture they use for Gen Zers, you know, the next generation of adults who are going to lead the world is two little kids, like a little girl and a little boy, both wearing oversized glasses and a shirt and tie. Yeah, like three-year-olds. So it's like they're infantilizing the the next generation. Because bear in mind, like, you know, is... Gen Zers are people who are now adults who are old enough to be working in offices, but because they want to diminish their opinions. It's just, no, look at these babies in outfits. Yeah, and that is one of those things of, um, this is a deliberate choice. Anyone who's saying we're reading too much into this, this is a deliberate mm-hmm. choice. Someone picked this article header, they signed off on it. Because it is young a- people don't know what they're talking about and therefore you shouldn't listen yeah. to them. Uh, if th- this is the way they're visualizing their supposed audience of literal children who need to be told what they're not, not doing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Carl, Yes. I just want to say, don't you have a hard out in like a couple of minutes? Uh, yes, my friend says we are in 10 to 15 minutes. I was going to say, because I know that and we don't normally have like times on these things, but you're, you know, your friend is coming to meet you there for you. He has, yes. And there is one thing I want to, because I touched on the Dave Chappelle thing, we keep, and I've had a few questions about my thoughts on that. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to close off with a story, Lucas. Okay. And there is a, a comedian a couple of years ago, a black comedian, who um, stopped performing. They stopped performing because they realized they were making, uh, they were making in-group jokes from their perspective as a black man. Mm-hmm. And they realized that those jokes, um, whilst they were being enjoyed by other people in that in-group, like, you know, other black people, they were appreciating like, you know, the shared in-group humor. Mm-hmm. Um, people outside of that group, mainly white people, were laughing at those jokes and seeing um, uh, those jokes as basically free reign to... Um, uh, invoke the same types of stereotypes and imagery and words used within them and they stepped away from the industry and do you want to guess the name of that comedian lucas i mean i am presuming it is dave chappelle yes that was the comedian dave chappelle who famously just walked away from uh, like you know the stratospheric highs of his career um turning down multiple off multiple multi-million dollar offers to continue making stuff like the chappelle show and doing stand-up specials and one of his stated reasons why was, because um, if you've watched The Chappelle Show? Uh, I've watched clips of it. Fucking fantastic. Recommend it to anyone. 
Because, like, you know, we um, all, um, as friends, like, sat down and watched certain highlights of it when we've yeah. been meeting up and stuff, but I've not seen yeah. um, full episodes or anything like that. It's fucking incredible. And it was written by, by and I think almost every skit, with the extent of a couple, were written by Dave Chappelle himself, personally, mm-hmm. just single-handedly. And it's they are incredible. They all tell, or most of them, revolve around the black experience in America. Mm. Something Dave Chappelle himself, obviously, as a black man in America, has, like, you know, a lot to say about it. And a comedian has a very... Um, keen eye in those regards and some of the skits and jokes that he told in that show do rely and invoke stereotypes sometimes they're inverted sometimes they're not but they invoke stereotypes nonetheless Mm -hmm. but because they're being made by a black man to a predominantly black audience you know there's that in-group humor there's that shared experience between them but he noticed that when his show got really popular the show started getting popular with white people who saw that show as an excuse, as basically permission to invoke those same stereotypes, and he didn't like mm-hmm. that. And you had something very similar happen with um, Chris Rock, who was a very famous bit, um, the name of which I'm not going to say out loud, but it is um, it uses the N-word. Yeah, I think I, I know which like, part you're referring to, yeah. And it's a Chris Rock skit, the difference between black people and the N-word, and it was one of the most popular bits he ever did. It is widely considered one of the finest bits of stand-up ever, it has been referenced directly by President Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the most requested thing for Chris Rock to perform on all of his shows. People would go to his shows, hear him do that bit and leave. And he stopped doing that bit because he realized, and I'm like partially quoting him here, it was giving, the, it was giving white people too much leeway. Yeah. A lot of people were using it as an excuse to use the N-word. They saw it as basically being given permission to use the N-word when describing certain kinds of black people. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like that. Yeah, and that's fair enough. And the, and those are two like interesting stories about the idea of like, you know, in-group humour and how um, when joking about something from a shared experience, when people outside of that shared experience start joking about it, it can be quite dangerous because it gives people, it makes people feel emboldened to make the same kind of hurtful remarks and invoke those same hurtful stereotypes. It's accidentally and unfortunately giving the wrong people ammunition, yeah. Yes. And it was, it could have come from the, like, you know, the, it comes with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the Chappelle skits were all from, like, you know, um, just his experience as a black man, his frustrations as a black man in America. Mm-hmm. But they did happen to invoke some stereotypes and that, gave some white people, like they felt emboldened to invoke those same stereotypes, but they don't have the shared experience like, that people in that community have. Fast forward 20 years now, Dave Chappelle's joking about trans people and he doesn't understand why they're getting upset about it. And that's the only thing that needs to be said about it, is that story about him walking away from comedy because he felt that um, uh, his routines, his jokes were giving the wrong kind of people permission to invoke those same stereotypes and he can't see what he's done wrong when he's telling the same kinds of jokes about trans people. A different um, minority community that has been historically shit on for nearly the entirety it's um, existed. Yeah. Or been um, a, a part of culture. And it's just, as I said, I've not watched um, the jokes, but the fact that the trans community are upset by the jokes, and I obviously can't speak for the entirety of the community, but generally speaking, I've seen a lot of kickback from the trans community um, and I think the fact that they are the ones saying that the, the joke is offensive says it all it's not the thing I've watched like the relevant clips 
I've, I've had people tell me, well, you need to watch that. Oh, God, my friend's calling me. I'll call him back in a sec. Uh, just, I'll just finish this point now. I've had people tell me, you need to watch the entire thing. I've watched the things, the relevant um, uh, moments to provide the context, and I've seen the transcripts. And the point of the matter is, uh, yes, you're free to joke about anything, but you have to be aware that even jokes can have consequences and they carry weight, especially when those... And you think someone like Dave would know that because one of the reasons he walked away from comedy mm-hmm. is that exact reason. So the things people, the things trans people are telling like, look, you might think it's a joke, but when people see the world's most successful, well-paid, famous comedian telling these jokes, they feel emboldened to make the same kinds of jokes. And they're not going to be as skilled comedian as you. They're just going to invoke the stereotypes. And that hurts. Mm. And you should know this because you walked away from comedy for the same reason because you saw people doing that with your in-group, with your shared community. And it's, oh, it's infuriating. Huh. But yes, Lucas, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, sure. I'll... I just wanted to mention that because I know someone will say, oh, you mentioned Dave Chappelle, but you didn't really talk about it. Okay, yeah. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. But yes, um, yeah, it, I will just quickly plug the fact that I do like stuff on Twitch and YouTube, gaming related, at Legend of Canto. Mm-hmm. And to also just, yeah, send us questions if you've got any, because we can't make a question episode without questions. That's true, yes. And for me, just like Google Cal Smallwood, or yell at me on Twitter. If you feel really upset that uh, I'm saying people can't joke about trans people, even though I'm not saying that, I'm just saying that jokes about any minority um, uh, group should be made, preferably uh, with the benefit of experience of being part of that group or related to it tangentially, and also should not invoke harmful stereotypes that embolden bigots and what have you to make the same kinds of jokes that um, uh, diminish those people's experiences. There we go. Did you see that one where it was like, there was like a protest outside Netflix and someone turned up with a sign that said, I like Dave. I did, yeah. And they got harassed. And then they, it was framed by people like, oh, look, they're not so tall. It's like, you turned, that guy clearly turned up with the intention of stirring up trouble. Yeah, he went in looking, and then stirred up looking tr- and then, for a fight, didn't he? And it's, it's that, like that walking, fucking awful contrarian thing of just walking in going ha 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 look it's funny because I'm offending people and they're getting offended like look how sensitive people are it's like no you went in to a protest about Dave Chappelle going like oh look I agree with Dave it's like well you're clearly just being inflammatory on purpose yeah it's that is the protest equivalent of like throwing your hand towards someone's face and then making fun of them when they flinch. Mm-hmm. Well, why'd you flinch? I wasn't going to hit you. It's that. And it's just as childish. It's super childish, yeah.